Hello, Light City. It's Mike Hutchings. It's so great to be with you, at least through this medium. I'm coming to you from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, at the Global Awakening Studios here, where Dr. Randy Clark teaches on a weekly basis on Miracle Mondays. And uh, when Pastor Ian reached out to me to uh, be able to speak to you again, I was really thrilled. I know that this season, these last 18 months, certainly have been traumatic for you as it has been for us. And uh, just the opportunity to uh, speak again into the amazing culture, the kingdom culture that is Light City is such an honor and a privilege. So I just bring greetings and love to Pastor Ian and Tina, to uh, Pastor Alex, to all the amazing staff there at Light City. I love you guys. I am for you. I talk about you guys a lot because I love the kind of kingdom culture that you are bringing to your region, that indeed you are a regional uh, outpost to the kingdom of God. And what you're bringing is really uh, bringing the power of God's love in a very transformative way. So I bless you guys in Jesus' name. I want to pray and then we're going to go after it. Father, thank you so much for this incredible gathering this family gathering of sons and daughters who are all about bringing your kingdom into Fort Erie and the surrounding area. God, I thank you that you have your eye on Buffalo and Fort Erie and, and that entire region. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come during this time today and move in power through whatever I have to share today. I thank you that you always put your fire even on the weakest of words. And so I ask you to bring fire as I share today from my heart what I believe you have for this amazing family. So Holy Spirit, come in power, come and move, bring healing, bring transformation, bring freedom in Jesus name I pray. Amen. So wow, what a time it's been, huh? Uh, you know, you and I, uh, as as the church and as fellow Brothers and sisters, uh, we walk through really one of the most traumatic events that uh, the world has, has ever dealt with, certainly in modern times. And that is uh, this uh, pandemic that has been unleashed upon the earth. And not only the pandemic, the fact that, yes, there is a virus. Yes, it, it can bring harm to people. It has it's, uh, it's killed some really dear friends of mine. Uh, but just all of the fear, all of the sense of lockdown, being isolated, being in a place of uncertainty, not sure what's, what's happening next. All of that has been a very traumatic thing for so many people. As a matter of fact, I have a, a great friend in Sherman Oaks, California. She's a psychiatrist. And when uh, the COVID-19 pandemic began to hit in March of 2020, her practice in terms of counseling practice quadrupled with all of the people that were coming in and seeking help because of all the things that they were experiencing being isolated and locked down. She, uh, her name is Dr. Shanae Anderson. She's actually developing for the um, psychiatric professionals a diagnosis of, of COVID stress disorder. Uh, I know that sounds strange, but literally there is, uh, 
there is a, a thing that's happening with people where they're experiencing a lot of the same symptoms that people have with post-traumatic stress disorder, except they're experiencing it because of what's happened with COVID, whether they've gotten COVID or not. They've been isolated. They've been locked down. Listening to the news, you hear all of this about people who are getting sick and dying and everything. And all of that has created such uh, an incredible pressure upon human beings throughout the whole world, but specifically in our culture, in the American and Canadian cultures, that has feel it feels like that everything has changed and things are never going to be the same again. The good news is the kingdom of God has not changed. God's purposes for us have not changed. That no matter what is happening right now within and without our culture, who we are as amazing sons and daughters who are called to advance this kingdom in the earth, uh, that doesn't change. Everything stays the same. As a matter of fact, I believe, and you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again, Light City. I believe that this is the greatest day in human history to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's never been more of an outpouring of the Spirit. There's never been more resources that are available, more teaching, more understanding of the Word of God, more challenges than there is right now. And it's so exciting that we are going to see more people populating heaven through the harvests that we're going to be reaping now and in the future than have than any generation has ever been able to populate. Let me explain. This is not even my message. This is this is the free stuff, okay? When Jesus and the disciples were standing on the Mount of Ascension, he had eleven guys there, and he was telling them that they need to go out throughout the whole world and make disciples of all nations, you know, preaching and teaching and baptizing them and teaching them to to be disciples as well. Historians estimate that at that time in the known world, there were about 200, 220 million people in the world at that time. So obviously for those guys, 11 guys that were supposed to go out with no TV, no internet, no airplanes, they were supposed to go out and transform the world. And here's the crazy thing, they did. They went out and made disciples and literally Christianity, the, the message of the kingdom of God just literally brought transformation throughout that entire region of the world. And we are who we are today because of their sacrifice, because they were willing to lay down their lives to follow Jesus and to go out into the harvest fields. Well, think about that. Eleven men that were supposed to go out and bring transformation to over 200 million people in the known world at that time. Today in 2021, we don't know exactly how many Christians there are. There may be close to a billion Christians. But by the end of 2021, there will be over 8 billion people on the face of the planet. What does that mean for you and I? It means that you and I as this generation have the, the opportunity to populate heaven with more people than any other generation that has ever existed. Think about that that we get to be part of the greatest harvest of souls that has ever come into the kingdom of God. And we were born for such a moment as this. So I'm telling you that I believe that the next 20 years are going to be the greatest days of the church that we have ever seen. 
Is there persecution? Absolutely. Is there pressure and opposition? Absolutely. But I'm saying to you that we have nothing to fear because our God is with us. And we it's through amazing kingdom outposts like the Light City family that people are going to experience an outpouring of the love and power of the Father's love, of the outpouring of the Spirit, of the joy the peace and the righteousness of the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen through people like you. And I'm excited to partner with you in the midst of this. So no matter what this last season has brought, no matter what difficulties, no matter what tragedies, no matter what heartbreaks there's been, I want to make a declaration to you that we're stepping into the greatest days that we've ever known. And I, I believe that not only because the prophets say it, but because I feel it in my heart. May Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 be the banner over not only Light City, but over your individual life. And this is what it says. Our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the riches of his power that is at work within us. So I'm saying to you that the revelation that we're getting in this day is what's available for you and I to step into because of the immense greatness of his power that is at work within us right now. And we can't even dream big enough to imagine what God is going to do for us in the days ahead. Yeah, that's just the that's just the beginning. I want to talk with you today about this season that we've been through. Many of you know that not only am I the director of, of education for Global uh, Awakening, Dr. Randy Clark's ministry, but I also have a ministry called the God Heals PTSD Foundation. And uh, I take um, my seminar, which is Healing the Wounds of Life and War seminar, and I take it, I've gone, been all over this country, over America, I've been in five other countries, including Canada, and I've taught how to bring healing prayer to people who've experienced trauma in their life. The amazing thing about it over the last eight years is we've seen tens of thousands of people healed and restored from traumatic events and traumatic memories in their lives. We've seen so many folks from every walk of life, every kind of trauma you can imagine, bringing healing and restoration to the damage of trauma that has taken place in their life and that they're able to step back fully into the dream of God for their life. It's been an incredible privilege to see happening. Uh, I recently released a book called Supernatural uh, Freedom from the Captivity of Trauma, published by Destiny Image. It's available on Amazon. If you go there, it's, it's uh, selling. And it is literally the entire uh, healing the Wounds of Life and War seminar that I've done all, all over the country. Uh, the reason why I, I tell all, all that, and by the way, if you want to know more about that ministry, you can go to GodHealsPTSD.com or go to my Facebook page, GodHealsPTSD, where you'll see lots of testimonies. You'll see lots of teaching about how God is interested in bringing healing to trauma. And this is why I wanted to tell you this today. Because I believe that many of us have experienced trauma because of the pandemic. You know, trauma is not just something violent that happens to you. Many times it's something 
that has taken place in your life that brings an injury to your soul that can cause problems later on. You see, if you understand what the Bible says about trauma, the trauma is a wound. It's a wound that happens. That literally is the meaning for trauma. The only time that the word trauma shows up in the New Testament is in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the man was beaten and left for dead by the side of the road by robbers, and a couple of people walk by and don't pay any attention to him, but then the Samaritan comes. And it says in that parable that when he saw the man, he saw that he was traumatizo, or that he was traumatized. And uh, then he took him and he began to treat his traumas or his traumas, his wounds. So when we talk about trauma, so many times we talk about it like it's a mental illness or a mental disease. And the reality is, is the trauma that many of us have experienced is simply a soul injury. You know, David says in Psalm 34, 18, he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Later on in Psalm 147.3, the psalmist writes, the Lord heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up the wounds. Or in the Passion Translation, I really like what it says. It says, God heals all shattered hearts and binds up their wounds. When you think about trauma as a soul injury, this is how I, I think about it. Think of your soul like a mirror. And I'm equating soul with, with heart. And when you look in the mirror, you see a pretty good representation of who you are. What trauma does is it takes that mirror and it throws it down and shatters it and shatters it into hundreds of pieces. So that when you try to find who you are by looking in the mirror, which we do on a daily basis, we make, want to make sure we look good, we got everything together. When you try to look for who you are in that mirror, you don't see the right image, but instead you see an image that has been damaged or has been shattered by trauma. See, when I quoted Psalm 34, 18 and Psalm 147, 3, the term brokenhearted literally means in the Hebrew, shattered soul. So what is your soul? I like to think of your soul as comprising of four components. First of all, it's your soul is number one, your mind. That is how you think. Number two, it's your will how you choose. Number three, it's your emotions, how you feel. Then finally, number four, that's all wrapped up in your identity, who you are or who you believe you are. What trauma does, whether it's experienced as a child, whether it's experienced as an adult, no matter what form of uh, or time of life that you're in, trauma actually brings a a breaking of your heart, a shattering of your soul. We, we know that sin shatters the soul, but trauma shatters the soul as well. And it literally breaks your heart. It, it affects how you think, how you feel, how you make choices. And in a big way, it affects what you think about yourself. 
Many of you, if you've ever read the story of David, you know that David was a shepherd boy. He's a, uh, the, New, the testimony of the New Testament that he's a man after God's own heart. He also was anointed king, uh, but he also had a lot of other issues. He had uh, issues with adultery and murder. He was a warrior that saw literally tens of thousands of people killed uh, under his armies. David had difficulty his whole life that I personally believe come from the trauma that he experienced both as a young man, as a child, and then as a young man. The first time we see David is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in that story, if you remember, Saul, the first king of Israel, <clears throat> has rebelled against God. And he chooses to go against God in a way that God says, I can't have this anymore. So God sends the prophet Samuel out to the house of Jesse. And as he goes to the house of Jesse, God tells him that he's going to meet the new king of Israel there. So Samuel instructs Jesse to call out all of his sons. And Jesse calls out, quote unquote, all of his sons. And Samuel goes down the line and he keeps thinking, oh, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy. But he comes to the end of the line and God says, nope, he's not here. It's like Samuel turns to Jesse and say, hey, man, what's up? Somebody's missing. And Samuel says, well, there's David. There's many biblical scholars that believe that David was not considered a full son of the house because he was the product of another relationship that Jesse had with another woman that he was a, a, a product of an adulterous affair. And we think this not only because of the way that David was treated by his father, but then later on in Psalm 51, which is the great prayer of confession that David prays after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband. He cry, he's crying out to God. And he says in part of that confession, he says, in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, if he was conceived in, in the relationship between Jesse and his wife, that, not, that would not have been a sin. But because of David's declaration that in sin, my mother conceived me, a number of biblical scholars believe that David was not the product of the relationship between Jesse and his wife. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because it seems, according to this account in 1 Samuel 16, that David is kind of being treated like we say, all of my folk are from Kentucky in America, and, and we talk about being treated like a redheaded stepchild. That is, you're not the favorite. You don't get what all the other kids get. You're kind of considered to be kind of a nuisance. And there's a, if you read between the lines in, in some of the stories in the Old Testament, particularly in Samuel, you see that David is not necessarily considered a favored son of the house. You know, as parents, we're given children and we're given a responsibility to give them the kind of soul nutrients that are necessary for them to raise up to be healthy men and women. Uh, they're, they're 
things that every child needs, but not every child gets. One of those soul nutrients is the sense of really belonging, that you belong to the family. Number two, that you are loved, not for what you do, but simply for who you are. Number three, that you're significant, that you're here not because of an accident or because of a mistake, but you're here according to the plan of God. You know, there's a lot of folks who've been told by their own parents that they were either a mistake or an accident. They're people that were conceived maybe through a sexual assault and they're tormented throughout their whole lives by the lie that the enemy gives to them that somehow they don't belong because of the manner and the nature of their birth. Ultimately, every child needs to know that they're significant and that it's not an accident that they're here. And finally, every child needs to know that they have a purpose, that they have a future, that their identity is secure. And, and really, identity for children doesn't come from them going to college or going to school. Identity needs to come from what our parents have to say about us. And when you don't get that from your parents, when you don't have the sense of security in your identity, the sense that you belong, the sense that you have purpose, that's really a trauma. And many trauma experts refer to that trauma as trauma A, or the absence of good things. That you as a child just didn't get everything that you needed as a child to be strong, to be healthy, to be emotionally and mentally healthy. Trauma A, the absence of good things. And the way that David was treated, and by the way, if you know the rest of the story, you know that David was brought out. God says, yes, this is, this is the man. Samuel anoints him with oil, and he then is known now as the next king of Israel. Later on in the next chapter, we see David again. And you know, if you were part of a family and you know, you're all of a sudden anointed to be the next king of your country. You would think that everybody would be celebrating you. You know, they'd be putting up on their shoulders. And, Yay, it's awesome. We got the king of Israel in, in our family. But the next story that we find David in is in 1 Samuel 17. And the children of Israel, the, the armies of Israel, and the armies of the Philistines are in deadlock in combat in the Valley of Elah. And they've gotten to this place of stalemate when the Philistines have a brilliant idea to bring out their champion, a giant, who would take on the champion of Israel and that whoever wins that battle, the one country would serve the other. When we next see David in this story, we, David's not the next king of Israel. He's the the delivery boy from the local sandwich shop. His dad gives him some food and tells him to take it up to his brothers to, to give the food to his brothers. So he's the delivery boy. He's taking up to the front. When David gets up there, he sees what's going on. And because of this amazing relationship that David has developed with Father God out in the hills of Bethlehem, he has a concern for God's reputation. And he becomes pretty angry and he says, how in the world are you going to let this giant who is challenging the armies of Israel to stand? 
And so David volunteers to take on the giant himself. Now, you know, if you know the story at all, Saul tries to put his armor on him. By the way, guess who was supposed to take on Goliath in the first place? Saul was heads and shoulders the biggest man in all of Israel. So it should have been Saul's duty to do it. But instead, Saul sends a teenage boy out to kill Goliath. And according to all, anybody who would be thinking at that time, probably out to David's certain death. But David, instead of taking on the weapons of Saul, he takes his own weapons that he's used out in the field to kill a lion, to kill a bear, and to use his own target practice. He takes a slingshot and five smooth stones. He takes his first shot at Goliath, and Goliath gets hit in the forehead and falls face first on the ground. And for those of us that were brought up in church and had parents read Bible stories to us, that's pretty much the end of the story. You know, David slays the giant. But if you read the entire chapter, it's not the end of the story. David takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off. And Goliath's head becomes the new trophy that Israel carries around. Now, all of that makes for great sermons about being giant slayers and destroying the giants. But there's one problem with that. Teenage boys aren't supposed to be going around cutting people's heads off. And what begins for David is a life of warfare, a life of bloodshed. And he, there's a song that's chanted about David by the women of Israel that says, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And David becomes a bloody man of war. If time served, I'd go through a lot of the battles that David went through. But folks, how many of you know that human beings were never meant to see and experience the horrible bloodshed of war? David certainly gets his own share. As a matter of fact, by the time he does become king and he wants to build a temple for God in Israel, God says to him, I'm not going to let you do it because your hands are covered with too much blood. Anytime that we experience or are involved in something violent, anytime we witness something, whether it be like what we're remembering this weekend, which is the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks in New York City, whenever we are involved in some kind of natural disaster, like a tornado, a hurricane, an earthquake, a tsunami, Whenever there's been some kind of violence done to us personally or to the people around us, that's a trauma that we're going to, you know, it's a great clinical name, trauma B. And it's the presence of bad things. Remember, trauma A is the absence of good things. Trauma B is the presence of bad things. And it's those kind of memories of horrific events that get stuck up here in our brains and they torment us, they haunt us, and they cause us to, to have our souls shattered by the things that we've experienced. So, you know, we have a lot of uh, military veterans, certainly from Canada, but also in the United States, who literally lay down their lives to go and fight in Afghanistan. And many of those veterans are feeling a lot of hopelessness right now 
because of what took place just over the recent weeks with the United States withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan and the Taliban taking over there. So there's been a lot of, of our veterans who've been feeling really bad about their service there. And I don't know if this is true in Canada, but in the United States, we lose an average of 22 military veterans and soldiers a day to suicide because of all the trauma that they carry from what they've experienced in war. Trauma A is the absence of good things. Trauma B is the presence of bad things. The question is, and even with the trauma of what we've experienced in the pandemic, is there an answer? Is this, is trauma, is unresolved trauma, is post-traumatic stress disorder just something we have to live with for the rest of our days? That's what, quite frankly, modern medical science and a lot of psychiatric and psychological science tells us that it's like a traumatic brain injury. You have to live with it for the rest of your days. But here's the good news, folks. It's amazing good news. And it's in Isaiah 61. As a matter of fact, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 61? It's something that's very familiar to all of us, but it is the literally the mission statement of Jesus, the Messiah. The prophecy says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to the afflicted, to the traumatized, to the victimized, to the marginalized. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to declare liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to declare the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who are in Zion, to give them comfort instead of mourning, to give them an oil of joy and gladness instead of sorrow, to give them a garland of beauty instead of ashes, to give them a mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness and fainting, that they would be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This amazing prophecy that Jesus later on in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19 declared, that was his ministry, is the declaration of the ministry of Jesus. And the amazing thing about this, guys, is that here it's saying that Jesus came to bring good news, not to the rich and famous, not to the religious establishment, but to the poor, the afflicted, the traumatized. And then the very first manifestation of that good news is that he'd come to heal all shattered hearts. Come to declare liberty to those that are held captive to their past trauma. You come to declare freedom to the prisoners who've been put into prison because of the bad choices that they had made out of their pain. You see, the three main emotions of people who carry unresolved trauma are shame, which says there's something bad about me. There's guilt which says I've done something bad, therefore I've got to be punished. And there's condemnation, which says you're hopeless, you'll never change. Jesus comes and says, because of what I'm going to do through you receiving the good news and the shedding of my blood, 
is that you will never, ever have to carry shame in your life ever again because I have dealt with that shame. Number two, even though you blow it, even though you sin, even though you, you do the wrong thing, that the shedding of my blood will cleanse you from all guilt once you recognize that sin. That you'll not only be cleansed, but you'll be free from it. So you never have to walk in guilt ever again. And finally, number three, condemnation. The word of God says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, I'm not hopeless. I can change and I will change because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is living within me. So isn't this great news? Isn't this joyful in the fact that no matter what life has brought to me, no matter what choices I've made, no matter what I've done, the power of the gospel of the kingdom and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is sufficient enough to take all of that, to wipe it away and to make me a new creation in Christ so that I am no longer defined by what my life has given me. As a matter of fact, Let's make this declaration together. I'm going to say it, you repeat it, okay? Because of Jesus, I am no longer defined by my history. What I have done, what has been done to me, what I have witnessed, or by my family, I am defined by who my Father calls me. He calls me His beloved child in whom He is well pleased. The amazing truth of Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4 verses 18 and 19 is that Jesus came to heal our shattered hearts, to see the reality that our minds, our wills, our emotions, and our identity have been shattered by all the bad things that have happened to us. That the reality is, is that no matter how young or old you are, the dream of God is still available for you. You know, when God called Jeremiah forth as a prophet, he said in chapter one of Jeremiah, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. That is, you were a dream in my mind before you were even conceived. The good news for you, my dear brother, my dear sister, is that's true about you as well. You have allowed the things that have happened to you to define who you are. You know what it is to have your soul injured. You know what it is to be tormented by the images and the memories of horrible traumatic experiences that feel like that they have ruined you, that there's no going back from, from what happened to you. But the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is nothing that has been lost nothing that has been stolen, nothing that has been wounded that can't be healed, delivered, and restored 
in Jesus' name. Our God is a God of restoration and healing and deliverance and freedom. You know, we talk about freedom a lot. We think, what you know, what is true freedom? I know in Canada, as well as in America, we feel like that we've lost some of our freedom because of all of the severity of the lockdowns that our governments have, have forced upon us. But child of God, I say to you that no matter what your government does, no matter what happens around you, you have the greatest freedom that humankind has never known, has ever known. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, God has set us free indeed. Then indeed we are called to walk in freedom. And what is freedom? Freedom is the ability to respond to God the way that he created us to be and therefore to do all that God has purposed us to do. It's freedom that you get to be you. <laughs> you get to be exactly who God created you to be. And life is an amazing journey in the kingdom with the Holy Spirit in learning exactly who God has created us to be. It's a beautiful thing where you finally get to see yourself, not through the eyes of your trauma, not through the eyes of other people, but through the eyes of who your father sees you. The good news for you today is he sees you with eyes of everlasting love. He sees you with eyes of joy. He looks at you and he says, there's my son. There's my daughter. I love them so much. I want them to be everything I created them to be. So this is this amazing adventure of learning who we are and what's available to us. But as I have been talking today, one of the things that keeps us from walking in the fullness of that is the unresolved trauma, those soul wounds that we carry. So what I want to do today is I want to pray for you. I want to pray a prayer of healing and restoration from the trauma that you've experienced in your life. And that you would walk out of this place today knowing that the Spirit of the living God has come with His anointing to set you free, to give good news to the areas of your life that are still impacted by trauma. You know, I have had the privilege of praying for thousands of people with trauma, and the vast majority of them have experienced tremendous healing. If you want to see the testimonies, you can go to my Facebook page, God Heals PTSD, or go to my uh, website, GodHealsPTSD.com. But over and over again, the people that I prayed for that have been healed talk about how they feel like 2,000 pounds of weight has been lifted off of them. And I want to say to you that it doesn't make any difference how horrific, how repeated, or how bad your trauma is. Nothing is stronger than the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the love of God that he demonstrated by sacrificing Jesus on the cross, not just for your sin, but for everything that is warred against the dream of God for your life. Isaiah 53, 5 says this. 
it says, by the stripes that Jesus bore in his body, we are healed. Now, when it says that, it when it says the word stripes, it sounds like something really nice and clean. But the reality of what it's talking about there is it's talking about the scourging that Jesus went through with a cat of nine tails laid upon his naked body for over 39 times while his flesh was literally ripped off of his body before he went to the cross. And the scriptures say both in Isaiah 53, 5, as well as in 1 Peter, by his scourging, by his trauma, you have been healed. The Lord gave me a, a, a phrase that I use over and over again that best describes this. Jesus suffered trauma on your behalf, so your trauma can be healed. Right now, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And while I'm praying with you, I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes open because I'm going to keep my eyes open. Because I want you to see my eyes while I pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to put your hands right here on your heart. Let's pray together right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every one of my brothers and sisters and friends that are in the room and on this broadcast from Light City. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, for your presence and your power that is here with us right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I thank you that it doesn't make any difference what the distance is. It doesn't make any difference that I'm on a recording, that your power is present and you are always present to bring healing and restoration in the name of Jesus. So Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing to every shattered soul that hears my prayer, that you would bring healing to their mind, to their will, to their emotions. And Father, that you would show them what a restored design of who you originally created them to be looks like. That the original design, the original dream you had for them would be restored. And that they would walk in the fullness of their identity as a beloved child of God. Holy Spirit, that you would come and the traumatic images and memories that reside up here, we in the name of Jesus, I cancel and I sever the assignment of these traumatic images and memories, and I command them to dry up and die right now by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I sever the neural pathways that lead to those traumatic images and memories, and I sever the, their five senses. They're seeing, they're smelling, they're tasting, they're touching, they're hearing from being triggers to those memories. And I declare freedom to your minds. I command your memory center to wake up, to wake up, wake up. Let there come a free flow of memory so you no longer just remember the bad things, but the bad things fade away and you begin to remember the good things about your life in Jesus' name. And for those of you who suffer from sleep deprivation because, because of your trauma, you only sleep a couple hours a night, 
I declare Proverbs 3.24 over you in Jesus' name, that you would receive the sweet sleep that is promised in that verse, where it says, because you walk in covenant with God, you shall no longer lie down in fear, but it's your Father's good pleasure to give his beloved children sweet sleep. Now, one last prayer. Pray this with me. Holy Spirit, come and fill every area of my life, my mind, my body, my spirit, that has been affected by trauma. Fill every area with the power of your love. I receive your shalom, which is not just peace, but wholeness. I receive wholeness in every part of my being. Come and fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me with the power of your love and grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Light City, I love you. I can't wait to come and see you again sometime. I just bless all that God is doing with you and for you and that you are moving in the greatest days that you've ever known as a family of God. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.